Very Bad Wizards is a podcast with a philosopher, my dad, and psychologist, Dave Pizarro, having an informal discussion about issues in science and ethics. Please note that the discussion contains bad words that I'm not allowed to say, and knowing my dad, some very inappropriate jokes. Just sitting here thinking is pretty rough when you spent most of your life not thinking. Welcome to Very Bad Wizards. I'm Tamler Summers from the University of Houston. Dave, for the last two years, I've been convinced against all reason that I couldn't get COVID. And I talked a lot of shit and it became part of how I understood myself, like what I took (laughs) myself to be. But I got it last week and now I have to reconstruct a whole new identity for myself. What should it be? What should I be? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you well it's going to take a lot of soul searching i i know exactly what you're talking about you you uh covid ver- i mean i'm a covid version too and yeah. now i feel like you're not part of the club you know i know i, I feel a little bit more distance between us <laughs> i don't blame you <laughs> i've let you down i've let all the people who never got it down and did it feel like a weird moral failure like i feel like it's just like for no reason no good reason it feels like a moral failure it felt it felt like a failure of will <laughs> you know, yeah. and and I, I, I had been saying, cause you know, my wife got it, my daughter got it and I never got it. And you know, they were in my house and I just would tell people I'm made of sterner stuff, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and it's like, that's, which is clearly not true when it comes to my wife anyway. And also probably my daughter, but whatever. <laughs> and then I would say like, you know, that I had too strong a will to, <laughs> to get COVID <laughs> and oh. you know, it all just came crashing down. On me. Ugh. Every once in a while, I find some reason to believe in, in a God who punishes that <laughs> sort of hubris. <laughs> I, I, the next thing that's going to happen is I'm just going to get into a bike accident and like, <laughs> oh, with like man. a head injury that like the oh. doctor, for whatever reason, is certain that a helmet would have prevented. <laughs> You're going to be like a little monkey from a, from a stalker. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yes. So today... This is this is it, you know. This is what I've been uh, wanting for a long time. We're finally going to do an episode on Andrei Tarkovsky's Stalker. Uh, not even COVID could hold you back. Not this. even COVID. Well, it held us back one <laughs> it week. Did hold us, it did hold us back. <laughs> so I'm very excited, if a bit nervous about that. Uh, you know, you get hap- a particular way, by the way. You do get a you do get this like nervousness about talking about your favorite stuff. Like we're gonna yeah. fail at doing it in some way or another. Do you feel that way sometimes? I don't like anything that much. <laughs> no, I yeah, but but I don't think as much as you. I I feel like I have faith in our abilities, you know. Oh, um, I, I I'm confident, but you know, if it doesn't go well, you well know, here's obviously. The thing. Yeah. You have to edit it. And so I feel like you have more of a sensibility to it in, 
I like kind of trust you to, <laughs> to <laughs> polish tr- our turds. I will try to make sense of what we end up saying. But first, we have a gem of a psychology <laughs> paper from... I, I think I first saw it from Neuroskeptic. Who else? Who, I don't know what he does to find these things. Does he have like... <laughs> Like Google alerts for keywords. Or like a whole team of people. Like that's how I like to imagine it. That he has like this team of people that are scouring to try to find, uh, you know, like preprints, everything, you know. So the, the, the paper is called Small Penises and Fast Cars, Evidence for a Psychological Link. And it is by researchers out of University College London um, in the Department of Experimental Psychology. And uh, yeah, that's a that is obviously like a real place. <laughs> it is. I've been there. It's, uh, but it's a doozy. <laughs> it's a doozy of a paper. Um, it's a preprint, so I don't think it's been accepted for publication anywhere. And I, I'm going to treat this like a, you know, like open science. Like we're peer reviewing uh, this for them. Sure. So that. So that <laughs> but as I said to you off air, this paper like should be published it should be seen and it shouldn't have to go through like <laughs> the humiliation of a peer review p- process like like nature just like yeah. uh, accept yeah. um I, I i really have uh, you know questions about how you even start with this but well like i'll <laughs> let me i'll just describe the bit the gist of it <clears throat> it's a pretty simple um experiment it's one it's one experiment and the idea was that um, they wanted to see if there was a link between men feeling like they had a small dick and them liking sports cars. They're just, you know, whatever. It's like the trope. Um, they're basically just yeah. studying a joke that's been, <laughs> that's been around since like the 60s or something. Um, yep. And the way that they did it was to experimentally manipulate what they told men the average penis size was with the idea that if I tell you that the average penis size is, uh, whatever, eight inches, then, uh, on, on average, you probably are smaller than that. So you'll feel, it will make you feel inferior and you'll, you'll like, uh, the sports car. So they, so they would present in this study, they presented a whole bunch of facts of which one of them embedded in that was a fact about penis size. Half the people got like a way bigger than average and half the people got way smaller than average. They either felt good about their penis size or they felt terrible about their penis size. And um, then they were told they were going to rate products. And so they rated a whole bunch of products. So the key for their hypothesis, the key was the prediction that if they were told that penises were bigger than they actually are, they would uh, rate the, the sports cars more favorably. <laughs> it's exhausting. So, yeah. <laughs> they so they have they do a, a review of the literature and the, the literature is it's all about sexual selection stuff, like Trevor yeah. stuff, basically arguing that men um go the route of conspicuous consumption uh, to attract females, especially for short-term mating goals and to compensate sports. if they have low self-esteem of yeah, something. Yeah. Yeah. And so <laughs> I love this. So they, they do a review and then and then this paragraph. How does penis size fit into this theoretical picture? The, the hypothesis would be that males who feel poorly endowed associate that with being less attractive to females. They would seek to compensate for their disadvantaged primary sexual characteristic with an increased show of secondary sexual characteristics, the conspicuous consumption of a sports car. We tested this hypothesis with an experimental manipulation. First of all, I don't know if they're being cheeky, but a sports car is not a secondary sexual character. I don't know what they're talking about. <laughs> 
It's just weird. It's like a like like I said before. It's like a stale joke turned into a hypothesis, like involving yeah. evolutionary psychology, which is which I also. Um, you know, they they also had a bunch of other product ratings, including luxury items like Rolex watches and stuff. And they really don't give any reason why yeah. this shouldn't work for other luxury goods. Presumably, you know, they, they talk about the peacock and it's and it's like fancy tail feathers. And it's like what in like humans? It's just the specific effect of a sports car, which which leads me to my my big problem with the paper, which I, I don't believe the finding because not only is it only um, an effect for uh, penis size on sports cars, and they have other low self-esteem manipulations and other luxury goods, they don't get any effect there. But it's also completely split up by age in order to find the effect mm-hmm. in a way that's just, all right, like, you know, you, they were just looking to see how they get. So they split men into like 29 and under and whatever, and o- older than 29, which is always a red flag. Like, unless that shit is pre-registered, it's just like, why 29? Like, why split in half? Like, mm-hmm. they're just sort of fishing for it. So they show that like, this only works for older men, but not for younger men. Again, with no good reason. <laughs> so you're accusing them of p-hacking. <laughs> I am accusing them of p-hacking. <laughs> but why are they doing it? Like, I just don't understand why, why do this? Like, I... I I, I feel like this is something you do and a lot of psychologists do is you have a paper here with like so many fundamental problems that suggest that your whole discipline is like unserious and yet you pick something that's fairly, you know, like that's right, that's absolutely <laughs> right, but doesn't get to the bottom of how about this? The measure <laughs> for whether you think you have a big penis or not is that you read this random fact. And, and then I guess in their mind, you're thinking, wait a minute, like I've measured my penis <laughs> and, <laughs> and my penis is smaller than that or bigger than that. And like that makes you now think for the first time, like I have this sized penis. I, I might, you know, have been under a, a misapprehension about my penis size. Like, I don't think that's how it works. Number one, I don't know how you would validate that measure. Um, <laughs> like, well, so what they they uh, they at least ask people later on to yeah. estimate their own penis size, and they found that people uh, who were told that it was bigger. Uh, said that they they were bigger, um, uh, so that I doesn't mean, get to your. I, 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 I like what? <laughs> that I don't think this get, gets to the to the. It to doesn't. The issue but here. but here. But let's be to, to be fair. Any psychologist would say all of the things that you said. It's just that this is the lowest hanging fruit because if there is an effect, then you have to try to figure out why why it's there. But there, what we're saying is that this is a simple conversation. There's no effect, so you don't even need to talk about like validity. No, but you do because let's say there had been an effect. We, as well, it, that's, but yeah, uh, that's exactly then, what we're saying. There isn't. Right. But I'm saying that this is part of the problem with psychology right now is you come up with these ridiculous measures that uh, in no way are validated. I, I don't think that's a validation to because uh, no, no, it, it's you, not because you, you, they have no independent measure of the person's penis size. Not only that, they have no reason to think that our our sense of our penis size fluctuates over the course of our lives from something as small as, as tiny as this stupid manipulation. I feel like people have a good sense of where they stand penis wise, and uh, <laughs> they're not like you know reading some. 
piece of data about what the average is would not in any way change how big I thought my penis was. Well, look, the validation is that they want they like sports cars more. So there you go. (laughs) (laughs) No, but no, no, look, it's like. Sure, I started with the fact that there I don't think there's an effect, which to me is just like it's table stakes. So that for a psychologist, it's table stakes. It's not that you have you're like so much more clever than psychologists that we never talk about validation. Of course, in a, if we were reviewing it, we would be like, what evidence do you have that this is validation? You're not like you're not like springing this like cleverness on us. I no, I'm not saying I am at the, but these are university college London psychologists. Yeah, it's bad. That are, it's bad. It's bad. It's just bad. In, it. It's bad yeah. in so many ways. It's just that that's the easiest way to point like objectively like that right. there is there. Right. there it's is. like two th- <laughs> circa 2009. Uh, yeah. like that's, data that, that's my issue. Have they not like been paying attention to like <laughs> yeah. what's happening to the field? Right. Like, this is not pre-registered. There's no real justification. It's just like, like, okay. Here, I'm gonna, I'm gonna yes and you a bit more than I was just doing. Um, okay. So here is a, a minimum. You would think exactly what you were saying, which is like, um, how do you even know that this is working? And you would think that they would maybe, and I'm not saying this would satisfy anybody, but you maybe they would have like a self-esteem measure. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> to see like, oh, guess what? People who, who were told that penis sizes were bigger, like actually felt lower self. But they don't have that at all. Like this no. is just, it's like a lark. And maybe they did ask it. This is the thing that you don't buy. Like that, that's what, where I become real suspicious. Maybe they did ask it and they just didn't report it because it didn't work. You right. Because it wasn't pre-registered right. and you don't know any of that. <laughs> right. I'm not uh, accusing them of anything. Uh, Daniel Richardson, Joseph Devlin, John Hogan, Chuck Thompson. But, but I don't think you have to know anything about data to to wonder why they why they're confident that this manipulation does what they think it does especially <laughs> since I mean let me ask you this <laughs> do you feel like you have a good sense of how big your penis is relative to to the world relative to you know I mean uh I think so yes but that's because like I've actually r- read some literature on average penis size and um, you've measured your own penis uh, I don't think I've taken a ruler to it, but like, but that's you know, like thing. taking I my either. yeah, like I I can I can probably all, yeah, mark ruler, out. I, wouldn't, I would need two rulers, but <laughs> you only have two inch rulers. <laughs> um, here's the other question: like, if it really did work, right? Yeah. Then I guess they get debriefed afterwards. But isn't it a little <laughs> cruel? Isn't it a little uh, like how did this pass an ethics board that a, you're going to make people at least for the duration of the experiment believe all of a sudden I have a small penis? I didn't. I thought it was normal size, but apparently it's really they're scarred small. for life. They're scarred it's for well life. below average. No, it's true. If this really worked, uh, then then you're you're harming people <laughs> or hel- or really helping them. You know, yeah, like half of the people them. are like, yeah, baby. <laughs> um, I'm going, the, you know, I'm going I'm, down to the why. <laughs> this is made for a very bad Wizards episode from two, 2014. You know, yeah. like it's, you know uh, what would really trip me up, though? Heart. Yeah, is that they reported it in centimeters. And I can't tell. I, I think that in the, like, quote unquote, like facts that they presented experimentally, um, I think they also put it in inches experimentally, but I'll tell you this, if you tell me in, in centimeters, I would have <laughs> no meant, idea This meant zero to me. I had to Google like what that <laughs> I was. I did too. It's so sad I did too. <laughs> yeah. The average, so here, yeah, here are the exact ones. The average erect penis size is 18.04 centimeters. Um, Which par- is? Parenthetical 7.09 inches. 
or the average penis size is 12.04 centimeters, a parenthetical 4.73 inches. So is that what happens afterwards? Like they then get debriefed. They're like, don't no, worry. I, I, this was on prolific. <laughs> I don't think anybody got any debriefing. <laughs> what if you have such a small penis that even like the smaller <laughs> size, that's the thing is yeah. like you don't know what their penis size is going in. No, so, you, you just hope that, that it's equally distributed across both groups, you know, and, and that it'll work. But, but it's, here's the other thing they don't report. So they report that this worked for older men. Yeah. Um, and not for younger men. And they show the data and they do Bayesian analyses, which I am not qualified at all to, to judge. <laughs> that's what's so funny. I mean, that's that, like, <laughs> yeah. is when they get really into the, they like, they run this Bayesian analysis yeah. on the data. It's like, are you fucking kidding me? We're not at the point where this is going to be in any, like that degree of precision is going right. to be in any way informative. Right. It really is cargo cult science. Yeah. Like, uh, um, but this is their description of the, the they say we quantified the strength of evidence for these experimental effects using Bayesian mixed models. First, we Z scored the ratings for each participant such that their average rating for all products was zero and the standard deviation for their ratings was one. This had the effect of removing overall individual response biases and ratings. Then we used a Bayesian mixed model with fixed effects for the penis condition and participant age, random effects for the car model and random slopes and intercepts. We used R version 3.43, the R Starnum package, <laughs> and the analysis tool Psycho. Uh, full details of the models are given in supplementary materials. This is mystification. You are <laughs> mystifying just the ridiculousness of what you're doing with all this terminology and uh, technical jargon. It is classic uh, mystification. <laughs> anyway, I think the real question here is... Uh, <laughs> whether or not you should take a ruler to your erect penis. <laughs> Answer the question that everyone's asking. <laughs> yeah. Like, I would want to wait until it's, like, really fully erect. You, uh, this and is then like I'm pretty confident that it's it's not a huge penis. It's not a porn star penis. But I feel like it is a perfectly fine... But, you know, I thought I wasn't going to get COVID either. So, like, <laughs> You know, that's uh, right. But I, I feel yeah. like it is a well-sized Mr. COVID three-inch dick over here. <laughs> if I if I was if I was gonna change like a hundred things about myself, I my I would leave my penis alone. <laughs> Me too. I just say I I feel yeah. like I'm 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 mature enough to feel that way. I'm not quite mature enough to not laugh at papers like. This. And I hope you never will be, and that I never will be. Uh, but um, we are mature enough to move on to a great film. Why don't we? Oh <laughs> man. Yes. Uh, it's it's going to be hard to leave this <laughs> this paper to talk about. This is a really good juxtaposition in some ways, well, actually. This... All right. We'll be right back to talk about Stalker. This episode is brought to you by longtime sponsor BetterHelp. You know, how we feel can shape so much about how we view the world. When you're at your best, it seems like you can accomplish anything, but sometimes... Life gets you bogged down and you start to get overwhelmed. You feel that heaviness. And even the simplest tasks can feel like an impossible burden. Well, working with a therapist can help you get closer to the best version of you. Because when you feel confident, when you feel empowered, you're way more prepared to take on everything life throws at you. Good, bad, tedious, and wonderful. 
whether you're dealing with trauma, troubled relationships, professional problems, or just the alienating and isolating aspects of modern life, therapy can have so many benefits. You can learn positive coping skills. You can learn how to set boundaries, how to set goals for yourself, and how to recognize the patterns and habits that may get you into one of those ruts that it's hard to get out of. So if you're thinking of giving therapy a try, BetterHelp is a great option. It's convenient, flexible, affordable, and entirely online. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. If for whatever reason that therapist isn't the best fit for you, you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. So if you want to live a more empowered life, therapy can get you there. Visit BetterHelp.com VBW to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot VBW. Thanks to BetterHelp for sponsoring this episode. Welcome back to Very Bad Wizards. This is the time of the show where we like to take a moment uh, and tell you how much we appreciate um, you, our audience in general, and all of the ways in which you support us and which you reach out to us. Uh, it really does keep us going. And thank you. If you would like to engage with us, um, you can get in touch with us by emailing verybadwizards at gmail.com or you can tweet to us at Tamler at peas or at verybadwizards. You can uh, join our Reddit uh, community where there's lots of lively discussion going on, reddit.com slash r slash verybadwizards. Also, you can follow the show on Instagram. Um, you and we also would appreciate it if you rate us on Apple Podcasts or if you listen, subscribe to us on Spotify. Pretty much any anything you do, we appreciate. And if you'd like to support us in more tangible ways, in addition to giving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, which is very helpful for us, you can go to our support page and see the myriad ways um, available of supporting us. You can give us a one-time or recurring donation on PayPal. Uh, you can buy uh, swag, T-shirts, cups, little baby bibs, I think. Very bad <laughs> wizards, baby bibs. We do want to come up with a new design and maybe uh, get something new going. But uh, So if you have any ideas, please let us know. Um, you can become one of our beloved Patreon supporters, and we appreciate all of our Patreon supporters so much. Um, at $1 and up per episode, you will get ad-free episodes. Um, uh, every episode will come to you ad-free. And you get six volumes of Dave's Beats. For $2 and up per episode, you get access to our entire archive of bonus episodes, including... 
the ongoing series, The Ambulators. The Ambulators. Which, uh, which we absolutely love and it's one of the things we're most proud of. And, um, and we are about to record the f- uh, an episode on the finale of season one. And I'm, I'm already like, getting nervous about it ending, like the whole the whole series ending. The whole and series. Us, us having to stop doing it. <laughs> and we don't get to talk about it anymore. <laughs> yeah. I know. Um, well, we still have time, though. Yeah. And we don't know. Maybe we'll die before that. <laughs> <laughs> At $5 Probably. and up per, <laughs> <laughs> At $5 and up per episode, you get to uh, vote on an episode topic. Um, uh, we do that once every six months or so you get access to a whole bunch of Dave's intro to psychology lectures, which he is about to put a couple more up. Is that right? That's right. And you get access to our brother's Karamazov series. Another thing we're very proud of. It's a five episode series and, um, and that will come straight to you if you join at that tier and finally at the ten dollar and up per episode tier you get all of what i've just said plus you get every month to participate in our ask us anything video you ask us questions and then every month we record um uh, a video of us answering those questions, also an audio of us answering those questions. And we've been doing that now for over a year and we've enjoyed it. I think every one of them, that's something we absolutely love doing. The questions have been great and moving at times, like, like Dave said, and, uh, and that, and you also get, um, the audio version of that if you're a $2 and up at the $2 and up tier. So thank you so much, uh, to everybody for all your support. We're overwhelmed by your generosity. This is what keeps us going and we can't thank you enough. Thank you. All right. Let's get to the main segment. Uh, Stalker from 1979. So this is, um, by the Russian master, uh, Tarkovsky, who did seven movies, including uh, probably his most famous other ones are Solaris and Andrei Rublev, and also Mirror, which just got a Criterion release. It was a famously troubled production, had to be completely reshot after the film was developed improperly, which is just... It's insane. It's fucking insane. It's like, you know how it used to be when you would lose a document that you've been working on and it would just be like a tragedy, but this was like a year's work was just gone and so they had to reshoot it. I think probably for the better of the movie. Um, The plot couldn't be (laughs) much simpler. Three men travel into a zone that's been cordoned off by the military because of some of like unspecified event that happened there probably around 20 years ago or something like that. Uh, And they are heading ultimately towards a room that, according to legend, grants anyone who enters it their deepest desire, the one that made them suffer the most. Hmm. Uh, Dave, one of my deepest desires for this podcast was to do an episode on Stalker. Uh, Like I said, it's a movie I saw for the first time about two years ago. I've seen it at least six or seven times since. Oh, wow. Uh, 
it's, it's probably the movie that means the most to me, even if I'm not sure why uh, at all. And I think it's a like a magical movie, and I do feel like it contains the, like the meaning of life somehow. <laughs> Um, but one of the many questions this movie raises is whether having your deepest desire granted is a good idea. So what do you think? Will this discussion lead me to tragedy and despair or some mysterious form of hope? I, I want to like put in this plug. Normally I'm like, well, it doesn't matter if you watch something or not. You can enjoy the discussion. Like I don't want anybody to feel a resistance to watching this movie. The runtime is long and it's famously has long shots and it's it's slow by the standards of, of filmmaking today for sure. But enjoy like that. Just watch this with patience and enjoy it. It mm. is some of the most beautiful filmmaking I've ever seen. Mm. And so like set aside some time and just really watch this movie. I think I don't think anybody who enjoys movies can watch this movie seriously and not be moved um, in some way yeah. or another. And drawn into and it drawn without in, Yeah. There's something why. There's a there's a je ne sais quoi, as the French say, about like what is magical about this movie. The beauty of it, I think, is very alluring. Um, and the rhythm of it yeah. is very hypnotic. It's hypnotic, that's right. And I remember the first time I watched it, I didn't know what to make of it yeah. the first time. Like, what the fuck was that? <laughs> but I knew, like, holy shit, like, there's something going on in this movie. And I was so excited. I watched it again the next day. Like, I was just, just spellbound by it. And I still am without, again, right. knowing what it's even about, you know? It's, it's hitting something. Yeah. It's like yeah. Hit, hitting something like... Yeah, primal isn't the right word, but but deep. Like the art of cinema here is doing stuff that other art forms can't. Part of the what that is, that art, is that it hits you at a level that is below language or, yeah. uh, you know, it's not something that can be fully described. You do have to see it. You have to feel it. Every time I watch it, I always go for a walk afterwards hmm. and... It makes me like alert to the world in a way I wasn't before I watched it. Huh. Like the textures, like just the aliveness of what I'm seeing, like the sounds, especially the soundscape of this movie is incredible. And like, so then I go for a walk and the world sounds different and looks different. It's breathing and alive in a way that just it wasn't before. And like, that's the thing I'm most grateful that a, a, a movie can do. And this movie does it more than any other movie for me yeah okay as we get into it I, there are things that i i want to say about like what it is that's hitting those those like emotional mm -hmm. like like you say like like outside of language core emotions but i don't know how to describe it like my 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 high level comment about the visuals of this movie is that it's not like you know like denis villeneuve like has beautiful movies that look cool like this looks cool like that, but it's different. It's like the way he even just films three men's faces looking yeah. at the camera is yeah. hitting you in a way that's just like, I can't describe why that's emotionally intense. They're just staring at yeah. you. Like, and just a slow pan yeah. over a bed and a desk, like at the beginning or over like a little pond that there are just random old objects you, uh, you all of a sudden you literally feel yourself being pulled towards the screen right and right. um unlike you know even like a david lynch film which can be pretty abstract 
there's nothing that makes me want to say, oh my God, I gotta, I gotta rewind and see what those objects are <laughs> and how that like plays into, you know, whatever interpretation I'm playing with. It's like, it's not like that. It's uh, not, right. It's yeah. not. Yeah. Um, although I did rewind to see what the objects were on the, on the nightstand. <laughs> yeah. I'm like sure a, I probably There's like a syringe to. in there, uh, which caught my There's attention. a lot of stuff in the apartment that, echoes in the zone in the zone like yeah that was one thing i noticed on a rewatch um and then i was alert for this time mm. almost to the point where you could wonder whether he ever leaves the room but uh, yeah. yeah he is a little crazy cuckoo. <laughs> <Yeah>. like ju- <laughs> the cuckoo clock the cuckoo is clock, a great right? example like yeah. you know because it's the same sound as the sound you then hear in the zone yeah. um the little dust particles that are falling like the syringe the yeah uh, right yeah I'm curious about, I read a little bit about the location it was filmed. They, he, had, he had scouted a couple of different locations and finally um, filmed in Estonia in like an abandoned chemical, like a paper factory, I guess. Yeah. Um, and I was reading a bit about the experience that they had during filming. Like the, it looks beautiful, but apparently it was just miserable. Like, yeah. <laughs> and there were uh, like toxic chemicals. Toxic were, chemicals. Uh, coming in and they yeah. think that this probably killed him, his wife, and a lot of the crew. Yeah, which was sucks, but yeah. worth it. No. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so we agreed that that going scene by scene probably isn't the best way to, to do this because there's just a lot, even though they're very long shots and you know fewer shots than in most movies, it's a long movie and I don't think it does its service to go exactly scene by scene, but we'll try to go in order and talk about like things that stood out and the first thing i wanted to talk uh about with you was the use of the sepia tone at the beginning Mm -hmm. so so like tamler said this movie is about a place called the zone that we don't know what happened you know there's some speculation about whether it was like aliens or (laughs) uh, was it a meteorite or a visitor from outer space who knows so they travel into the zone but before they do we're, we're in his apartment with his family and uh, and even before that, we're in a bar uh, opening yeah, scene. Just but it's the seediest, <laughs> just dingiest looking bar imaginable. It, it is like the ultimate liminal space. It's like a yeah. wait. It's like a purgatory yes. waiting room. Exactly. It's, yeah. It's, and the uh, barman is yeah, like the overseer of that <laughs> exactly waiting you know. room. Yeah. There is just from the get go. There's something mystical about where they are. Yeah. Um, and I don't know what he did. Like, it's a very weird uh, sepia tone. Like, it's r- super saturated. Mm-hmm. Um, cool. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. But I think it's, is it just trying, I, I think it's just trying to say that when he's in the zone, that's like his ultimate, that, that's his reality. The world is but a pale shadow. Yes. Um, right. Yeah. And then that also makes it interesting when it becomes sepia toned in the zone yeah. which it does during that incredible like dream dream scene and then also when it becomes color in the outside world which it does um you know when they're walking home it has a wizard of oz element in that yeah. way like this is your drab reality and then there's this other reality that's colored and and magical just in virtue of being colored and look we didn't say what the stalker was but like so the idea is that there's one guy who is i guess trained and experienced in getting into this zone that's cordoned off barbed wire military he he knows how to get people into the zone and he Mm -hmm. knows how to navigate them once they're in the zone 
he's like their guide, right? And there's just two people. We never learn their real names. One's a writer and one's a professor of physics. And uh, they're called just writer and professor. <laughs> professor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're very archetypical kinds of characters, too. Um, I don't, we don't right. know too much about the professor uh, until the end, but, you know, he's a real man of science. And the writer is an artist. And, and, and a like lot a of cynical that. one, you know, yes. like he's it's not just that he was representing like the artist. He was representing cynical human beings. Um, and in some ways, the man of science is less cynical. A little bit, although in some ways he's more, uh, his his rot is deeper, I yeah. think, than the writer's. Um, <laughs> right. At least Because some, some guy had sex with his wife 20 years ago. Exactly. <laughs> I honestly, like, that's at least indicated as one possible reason why, right. he, uh, you know, like what's driving him and motivating him. Because there is a question why they are going into totally. this zone in the first place. It's dangerous. At least the first part of it is dangerous. Yeah. We don't know, you know, we never get confirmed or not whether the zone itself is dangerous, but right. getting there certainly is. Yeah, uh, they have to avoid bullet fire. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, complicated. It, and yeah, right. The The skill of the stalker in getting them into the zone is like is obvious. Like they, they get a car and they have to sneak around police guards and they have to like, they're really risking their life. So it does raise the question, like if these guys are so cynical, what like do they, they want? What do they want? They, they must believe that there is something in the zone for them. Um, I mean, obviously this is like the central, one of the central questions of the movie. What, what are they doing in there? There is something in them um, that is driving them to go in there and risk risk their life. I mean, the writer says, I've lost my inspiration. I'm yeah. going to beg the zone for it. But he's kind of, as he often is, being also ironic and making fun of himself when he says that, Professor, you really, until the end, get he doesn't volunteer any information about right. what's making him go through all of this. And so they're the, paying the stalker to, to, to go. Yeah. Like This is like the stalker's occupation. And the, at the beginning, his he, when he's in his apartment, his wife is very upset that he's going in. Mm -hmm. And I, I'm not exactly sure why. Do you have any theories about why she's so upset that he's going in? Well, we get so little backstory, but one piece of information we get is that he had been in prison for yeah. a significant period of time to the point where, like, he had barely met his daughter, Monkey. And, and so I think she's worried that he'll get arrested and mm -hmm. um, returned to prison. That's right. one, like, kind of surface explanation. But I also think it's, like, very hard on him. Like, he's kind of tormented by the cynicism of the writer and professor and you you know you see when he comes back it takes a lot out of him yeah i think it's also why the wife loves him but you know you could see like what is their life normally this is my question you know like <laughs> right. we don't get any real sense of whether this is a town like does anybody live here besides the bartender and what does like how does monkey and the wife and the stalker when he's not in the zone like how do they spend their days we have no real idea yeah, um, no, it's like this beat down, like one room or two room shack that they live in. And at the end, I guess we see that there's like a, you know, like a power plant in the background, but really we have no idea. It's it's so dreamlike. Um, yeah, it's not like they popped into existence, but it is also equally hard to think of what their day to day <laughs> right. is. Monkey can read. I guess she can't walk. Uh, there's uh, there's yeah, certainly she has rumors. 
Yeah, she has crutches, and there's rumors that stalkers, their children, become deformed in some way. Right. It's also weird. Like, I try to get a sense of what is this world? Like, you know, it's not a named country that they live in. And yeah. you don't, like, does this zone that exists, like, do, do does everybody know about it? Like, why isn't everybody trying to get in? Like, is this just like a secret? Like, how did how did the professor and the writer find out about it and, and want to go in it? Like, are there other stalkers who lead people in? Like, well, I guess we, know, we at least hear of one, but that's one it. Who was, and it seems like he was the guy who trained this stalker. Yeah, um, porcupine. Porcupine, which is very weird. Uh, tragic uh, tale of porcupine. Uh, yeah, it, it, it's a very strange movie in that it's it's so it's allegorical, but it's very hard to feel to figure out what it's an allegory for. To, yeah, that's yeah. right. It's it, and it ha the answer it has to be like many things. Yeah, and I wonder the mind of the artist of Tartofsky. Like this was based on a book, but he departs from the book a lot. Like I wonder about. I feel like we've had a discussion like this before. Where you're like, if he made it just like a simple allegory, like the the Christ figure um, sacrificing himself for a, a, like a humanity that didn't appreciate him, if it's too on the nose, it's not interesting. But yeah. there is the worry that like you can make it so complex or about so like have so many different angles to it that any interpretation would work. Uh, yes, I don't know. Like another example might be like 2001. Yeah. But even more than that, it's hard to even come up with some kind of coherent story that you want to tell. Like, I have a lot of thoughts that we'll, I'm sure we'll get into, and we'll get into yours too. But I don't have any confidence that I understand the metaphorical aspect of the movie, and I, or even that there are metaphors for anything. Uh, I don't feel like I fully understand the reality of the movie, right. but I'm not tempted to say, well, this part is a dream or, you know, like I'm not tempted in, in that kind of direction either, but yet it, it gives us enough that, um, we're not, we can't just say any old thing. Right. Yeah. Right. It's, it's constrained, even more constrained, I think, than 2001 in, in that it gives us a more linear story than yeah. 2001, which which could be like a Rorschach, you know, ink blot for anybody. So I want to dive into just this question that that I really want to know your answer to. Okay. Which is, do you believe that the zone, in fact, has anything special about it? Because it's That's, like you said, it's ambiguous. Like it, it's or, completely ambiguous. Even the end shot of Monkey, move, you know, supposedly yeah. moving the glasses, I think you don't have to view supernaturally. The same thing with once you're in the zone. There are some strange things that happen. Yeah. Like, as I take it, the only things that would suggest that, it, that there might be something supernatural going on in the zone is the voice. When the writer oh, yeah. goes to the, uh, tries to go to the room without going, you know, the circuitous <laughs> way yeah. that nobody will at least confess to having said, right. it, it just tells them to stop and turn back. There's the dropping the stone down the well and then it takes forever. I counted to, 12 seconds. 12 seconds. <laughs> yeah. Th th I guess there's also the fact that they just inexplicably <laughs> decide to take a nap in like I, a, that's a damp so weird. swamp. <laughs> It's so weird. There's a lot of laying down on the floor in this movie. <laughs> a um, lot. Yeah. Yeah. No, I know. Okay. So, so Stalker obviously really believes that this place is like, yeah, very dangerous. Charged. And, uh, yeah. And clearly, like, there are rules to this shit. And if you don't follow them, like, you are in danger of dying. 
and we we don't have any reason to think that he that people have it sounds like people have died in their yeah. journeys into the zone and so we he, see skeletons and we see and skeletons we say, yeah. like uh you know apparently they sent a bunch of troops in at first and none of them came back <laughs> and, and that and then they just decided to cordon it off right so so he has this like technique of guiding uh you through the the zone which involves what he calls like, a complex system of traps <laughs> right that are just there like and it changes like he believes that whoever is there actually has an influence on the zone itself so like the traps aren't always in the same location or the same kind of traps so he's constantly being vigilant and chi- like he's chastising the writer often for like veering off track and the writer clearly doesn't seem to take it that seriously I mean, one of the, the the comic elements of the movie is that this room that will supposedly grant your deepest wish is right in front of them at the start. Like, uh, right. a, and you can <laughs> right. actually see into where they're going to end up right there. And yeah. the writer is just like, this is stupid. Yeah. We're, it's right there. I can just walk there. And, and then the writer starts doing it and you just see in his face, holy shit, like <laughs> maybe this isn't such a good idea. Um, uh, right. But yeah. Right. So he's throwing like his method is like he has these like bolts, these nuts where uh, he ties like white strips of cloth and he throws them ahead, I guess, to see whether or not there's a trap of some sort or whether like the laws of nature go wonky and like in that particular spot. And so he follows whatever uh, whatever path um, seems seems safe. Yeah. Even though like. You know, it's pretty easy to throw this thing in the direction that you want to go to. So, like, (laughs) (laughs) it's not like uh, some randomly zone determined thing (laughs) where it goes. So the the stalker throughout takes this so super seriously to the point of like hysterics. Um, Yeah. The, the, his voice when when he thinks the writer is going astray like his voice has this desperation to it his facial expressions have this mm-hmm. pain to them yeah it's, because you're not taking it seriously that's yeah. like his greatest fear yeah. is that you're not taking the zone seriously right i don't know i think my interpretation has always more gravitated towards the side that there's nothing supernatural about it and what gives it that energy <laughs> is the a the fact that it's cordoned off and abandoned and yeah. like anytime you have nature and old buildings and you know water coming into places where they shouldn't be that's going to be kind of spooky so that's number 1 the fact that it's been abandoned but then b the fact that nobody really knows what the fuck is going on in it <laughs> right. that's what gives it its charge and energy and possibility is not that it it is really supernatural but we can project our spiritual hopes onto it and it can reflect that that's i think where i gravitate towards but not with any kind of you know yeah. firmness so, or yeah right so uh, i think i'm with you too and like the emotions of the journey are what the emotions of the people bring to it it sounds so cliche to call it a journey of self-discovery, but it's like a... It's what it is. Yeah, it really sure. is. It's like, it's its just so, so allegorical in that sense. Like, you're trying to navigate, find meaning in life. And, and this is like the microcosm of the, the macrocosm that is just life in general. It's not regular life. That's yeah. the thing, you know? It's not, you're not in that rut 
uh, and routine and your patterns and habits, it's it's something new that you don't understand and that scares you, but also pulls you into it. Okay, so here's the the scene that I think convinced me that maybe there's nothing really going on, that the stalker has such a strong desire to believe that, that there is something supernatural, um, but there's no real evidence of it, is when they're going through that circuitous route, they lose the the professor and they make it out to what, to what the stalker believes to be the other side. And yeah. he's so shocked to find the professor there. He's like, how did you beat me? And the professor's yeah. just like confused. He's like, I just came back yeah. to, to grab my backpack that I had left here. And so I was like, oh, he really has in his mind created this thing where he's like, I, he really believes that the zone could fool him into thinking that this place looks exactly like the place they started, but it's not in fact. But it is. Cause like, it is. Yeah. yeah. They just went in this weird. I mean, it's very hard for us as viewers to get a sense of the it geography totally, of what yeah. they do in that middle section. Yeah. But really, they're not working within a, a big space. <laughs> no. And so there's a lot of just going kind of back and forth. And yeah, It's like that, the Jews in the, you know, 40 years in the wilderness kind of. How so? <laughs> well, you know, the, the Jews were wandering in the wilderness to the promised land. The promised land was not far away. But God, God, uh, Oh, yes. punished punished them and made them literally just wander for 40 years. Um, even though like, you know, what it like, I don't know how long it is, but it's, you know, maybe a couple of months the tops like walking. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is like that. And and you get the sense that it has to be too. Mm. Can't just get there and walk right into the room, whether it's supernaturally charged or not. This is the ultimate, it's about the journey, not the destination. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> because they don't go into the destination. Uh, I guess, I don't know. Do you have anything to say about the hysterics of the wife? Yeah, I did want to say something. Like, she, So she's very upset uh, that he's going, um, that he's taking people in, into to the zone. She, she writhes on the floor in this very weird performance. Um, yeah. And... She curses the day that she met him. She reminds me of Job's wife. You know, Job's wife, when he's suffering, she says, just curse God and die. Like, mm-hmm. just, and she she does seem like she's never quite believed it. But also, I, I don't know, that little speech at the end. At the end, she might be convinced. It, yeah. The way I read her, based on that speech at the end, is that she may have these little episodes, but ultimately, this is why she's with him in the first place. She loves this about him. Yeah. Because they're, they're in the dreariest possible environment, and somehow he's able to make life mystical and, and interesting, like, yeah, and interesting. You know, in if if you thought, which I think you could think, I don't think it, but like that the girl was malevolent, like Sophia from Deadwood, <laughs> uh, like, like the kid you from could think Twilight that Zone. she yeah. that she made the wife writhe on the floor like that. Okay, maybe. see, we're get, this is where we're gonna get to like the real. I I don't think that she's malevolent, but I think that she is controlling some shit, mm-hmm. like which is. I Tamla, I wanted to read this this movie in a completely cynical way, where it's like, isn't it interesting that this that this guy has this faith that has based on nothing, but he's like, yeah. really, he's really just completely devoted his life to like what is essentially a lie. Um, but I don't think Tarkovsky wants you to leave with that, and and the hints about Monkey having some sort of supernatural power to me, like I don't even think it's ambiguous uh, by the end. And in fact, I think. That in the beginning shot, 
when the glass on the nightstand starts moving and then the train comes and you think it's because the train is moving it. Yeah. I think that might be just like a side effect. That daughter is actually moving it there too. But yeah, we should say uh, that's the last shot in the in the film. We should like, be, yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll get, we'll yeah, definitely yeah. get there because that's such a that's like that's how he ends it. That's the Star Child essentially. That's <laughs> exactly. his version of the Star exactly. of the Star Child. It's completely not open to like. <laughs> even if you think she's definitely moving it with her mind, it's like okay, then still, yeah. why end with that? Um, yeah. So on the subject, actually. As he leaves the apartment, he goes through this. It's just so gorgeous. It's yeah. like you're living in a painting. Yeah. Uh, no, and I, I kept thinking that that YouTube channel that we used to love, Every Frame of Painting, this yeah. movie is really bad. is Every Frame of Painting. There are times where you feel, and the movie also just brings you in so that you're like a part of it. Like the way it does weird point of view shots from nobody. Like it's like, it's us at that point, you know? And, uh, but anyway, as he's walking across this like smoky, foggy uh, train yard, you overhear the writer kind of pontificating as he will to the woman yeah the woman Uh, she's like this kind of dreary places version of a society lady (laughs) you know (laughs) she's more well dressed than anybody but you know she still doesn't seem like uh, she comes out of Paris um, and what he's doing the writer is talking about how this whole world is just you know it's like what you want it to be all purely just science and laws and geometry and ace prime there's no mystery no flying saucers yeah Yeah. exactly that uh the middle ages were more interesting because the world was open to so much enchantment it's a really interesting scene because i kind of feel like this has got to be more or less what tarkovsky believes you know totally yeah he's also making fun of it it's getting parodied in the way that the writer is pontificating about it. And and it's so clear that this is just almost like a rehearsed thing that he says to impress the sophisticated yeah. women of whatever uh, country they live in. So I really like that. Yeah, um, it's like, a, I hadn't thought about that. Um, there is another conversation about the purpose of life. You know, the writer says it's about making art. And I also mm-hmm. think that Tarkovsky believes that. And I yep. think that him making a film like this is him bringing mystery into the world. Like he, it is. Yeah. Yes. Right. Yeah. Not necessarily through supernatural means, although no, there's definitely his zone some shots. Is his art. Yeah. His zone is his art. And I think, but then I also think the writer is in some ways what he worries he yeah. is, you know, <laughs> like, uh, totally. He, it, it's a side of him that he thinks might be ridiculous, you know, overwrought because he's kind of whiny too. And he just never stops talking. He doesn't fucking he's shut constant, up. Yeah. <laughs> I, at the beginning <laughs> when they're all in the bar, so you meet the professor and, uh, you know, they're all together for the first time. The writer is just still talking. And it's like, if I'm professor, <laughs> I'm thinking, am I, is this going to be the whole time? Is this going to be <laughs> the whole time? This guy is just, just will not shut up about triangles and, you know, how yeah. science is draining the world of all mystery and magic <laughs> and interest. Um, yeah, when he's trying to like take a random nap on the mossy rocks, like he's like, shut up, <laughs> still, let me sleep. <laughs> he still can't uh, escape them, you know. Oh God, I can't wait to talk about that. Just, just that <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so the writer is clearly searching for something so deep 
that yeah. he can't let himself take it seriously. Like his defense mechanism is to keep chattering about mm-hmm. and like to like always make light of the situation. You only yeah. get the occasional glimpse of like how much this must mean. Like I, I couldn't help but thinking after the whatever two and a half viewings that this guy, this is his last attempt at finding something meaningful mm-hmm. in his life. Like, yeah. he, or else he's just going to off himself. Like, yeah, this is a pivotal point yeah. in his life. If the writer can't get something out of this, then he's it's almost yeah. like he's done. And I, there's a real question as to whether he does get anything yeah. out of it. Yeah, I don't certain- know. I don't know at the end what anybody gets out of it. Like, I mean, maybe like as we talk um, on one reading, they're just exhausted by the end. Yeah. Um, yeah. One of the very clear themes that I you know, you can't miss is that this notion that. Um, the room is going to grant your innermost desire, but you don't know your innermost desire. Um, and it's like a very like kind of Freudian, um, thing to say, like, this is the, the, this is the, this is the risk of the room. Like Mm -hmm. you think you're going to go in there asking for a wish, but it's going to read your, your innermost desire. And what that is, you might be very disappointed to learn. It's Mm -hmm. really about this like discovery of the depths of your, of your psyche. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, yeah, it, it's suggested that that's what kills Porcupine. Right. Is yeah, that he is, found it, his innermost desire was something base, and he couldn't handle that. Yeah, it, he thought he was going in there to like bring his brother back, but instead yeah. he just got a lot of money. <laughs> <laughs> he got a lot of money, and he was like, oh my God, that's my innermost <laughs> desire. I'm just a money-grubbing <laughs> asshole like everybody else. And he's like, that's it. And that's that's the worry for writer maybe is like because he's worried that he's a hack he seems like he's somewhat successful successful, yeah yeah but but not fulfilled by what he's done i don't think he seems that proud of what he's written he certainly doesn't feel like he wants to keep doing it this is this moved me the most because i can sometimes feel like this like where am i going right now spiritually and i don't mean spiritually in like a religious sense or and also like professionally and like what am i devoting my life to right now like i don't you feel adrift yeah and you can feel that way even while you're still doing stuff that to the outside world looks like that's that seems like a yeah, look at Tolstoy. Remember life. our conversation about Tolstoy, yeah. right? Yeah, like you've written like a couple of the greatest novels, but like <laughs> and and you're just like, what the fuck am I doing? This is that moment. The zone gives you a chance to really reckon with that because the habit is to just go on with your normal life, carry on with those society women, and write your bullshit that you don't even believe in anymore but it's like and because i and i know this too this feeling what if you stop believing in what you're writing you know and what you're working on yeah and he's at a deep level yeah and at some point when he's discussing this he's talking about critics it's a very like (laughs) Mm -hmm. on the nose kind of conversation that any artist would have that's like successful like about those critics devour me like um they've turned me into like their own image yeah that's what he says he says like the that he they have shaped him into their own image, which yeah, he, he wanted to change them. Yeah, right. And that, we, are we like that? And, <laughs> I, was, I like have to think that sh- we purposefully fight that by putting out episodes <laughs> that nobody wants to hear, <laughs> <laughs> like this one, maybe. <laughs> yeah. So after the really long, drawn out intro, and then you know, uh, it becomes like an action movie yeah. and a kind of <laughs> a slow uh, one, but yes. Yeah. <laughs> 
Well, it's kind of slow, but I mean, when they're kind of running from the Jeep, oh, yeah, yeah, there's long yeah, shots. Yeah, no, totally right. It's a video game. Yeah, and it's funny. Like, it's not like the rest of the movie. I wonder why you even think this is a part of it. Like, because this is also where it's clear that they're risking their lives. So maybe it yeah. just raises the stakes of going in there. So I, I felt like this is Tarkovsky saying, I can do this too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay, Spielberg. This is after <laughs> Jaws, and but I also think it does. Yeah, it just shows that that this isn't completely in their imagination. <laughs> right. What's going on? You know, there is a reason why the, 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 this is being guarded, and even if it's all some big misunderstanding, like going into the zone is a complicated process. Yeah, and I think you're right. It shows that, like, it raises the stakes. It shows that you have to be committed to 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 do this. Like, even if, like, in the end, there's nothing magical about the zone, uh, and it's it, it's fun. It, like, and then they have to like, okay, then they have to like really break through that final barrier. They're just getting shot at. I love, yeah. I mean, and they're just driving on the tracks. Yeah. It's so cool. There's like those old timey railroad cars, but this one's gas propelled. So they have like the, pro- the professor got a, uh, container of gas uh, that he brought with him, uh, that the soccer knew they were going to need and he fills it and they just get to ride on this thing. All of this is happening in sepia tone, by yeah. the way. And, uh, then they get on, I don't know. How do you describe this little trolley train thing? Yeah, it's, like, it's a train car. It's like the old. It's like in cartoons where the two yeah. people are like they have to push and they have to <laughs> like lift the lever. Yeah, yeah, but but this one's driven by a gas engine. And then you just have this scene, which is I remember this was that was the first time where I like like was watching it and I was just like what uh, what and yeah. then just like. I, I I knew immediately, like, I have to see that scene again when I rewatched it. Like, it's just so incredible. It's just the, the, you, all you get is the sounds of the train at first, then a little bit of electronic music, like dissonant kind of. Dude, I uh, love this. So yeah, I, like I was making a note of this, like you start, it's the sound of the, the thing on the railroad tracks and like the high notes are sounding like they're getting like warped, like warbled a little mm-hmm. bit. Mm-hmm. And you're like, wait, is that how? train truck sound like no i don't think so right uh and then it gets a, it gets stronger it's like a spacey kind of like sci-fi choo, like, choo, yeah. Choo. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah yeah it is the transition into the zone and yeah. you, you see their faces get real close-ups of the faces you don't see the train after the beginning you just yeah. see their faces as they're driving the, the writer kind of falls asleep Dude, it's so it's so mesmerizing. Like yeah. I don't know what it is about that, uh, but what you just reminded me that it's you don't see the the train just like you don't see the feet of the stalker when he's carrying his daughter at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's like they're floating into it. They are. It's like they're going into a new dimension almost. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It lasts a few minutes. I don't know how long it lasts. I didn't time it. But I, d- I don't know. But it's I, completely it's... just gripping and. Uh, yeah, it's like one of my favorite scenes of all time because I don't, like, I don't know why it's so great. Uh, I, there's, it's, it just fully uses the, every element available to, to movies to just uh, make you uh, enraptured. Yeah. It's a, it's clearly like a filmmaker in his prime. And like, I don't know how to say this more sincerely. Like I'm not that, not that kind of artsy cinema guy, Yeah, but like, it's so obvious that this is somebody who like a director's role is to direct attention in the in the right ways to move you emotionally and he's doing that with 
literally just shots of heads. Yeah. And, and in one case, like you say, like kind of falling asleep and and some sound effects. Um, and I was reading about this, like uh, somebody was saying that Tarkovsky's somehow films heads better than anybody else, yeah. which is just so true in this movie. So true, <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, like they're just random, like middle-aged Russian men, you know. Like, yeah. and they're just so fascinating the way that they, they're so their ex- faces are so expressive. The stalker's face is just just a torment, a turmoil yeah. of uh, emotions and pain, and constant suffering, like constant like, suffering, it, like religious suffering, you know, soul suffering. And then sometimes a kind of innocent happiness. Like yeah. you love those moments where he's just all of a sudden happy, you know, like yeah. when he first gets into the zone. By the way, he looks like a Russian Woody Harrelson. Um. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. A hundred percent. Yeah, he does. Like, and, and, and some of the same ways that Woody Harrelson can convey that kind of boyish <laughs> uh-huh, uh, right. yearning for something, you know. Totally. Uh, um, and so... I don't remember if you said it, but it it's it turns into this lush green color now. Now you have yeah, like, it just suddenly shoot like it's not a big deal yeah. the way they do it. It's not like the Wizard of Oz where all of a no, sudden right. like it just all of a sudden there's a shot of the landscape and it's in color. This episode of Very Bad Wizards is brought to you once again by GiveWell, one of our favorite sponsors. You know, now that the holiday season is over, there probably will be a lull in the amount of charitable donations that people give. But I'm here to tell you that. That shouldn't be the case. You should be thinking about donating to worthy causes no matter what time of the year it is. And when you donate, we want you to be able to feel confident that your donations are really making a big impact. How do you do that? Well, you could do weeks of research to find charities, figure out what they do, how effective they are, and how that charity might use any additional money that comes their way. Or you could visit givewell.org. There you'll find free research and recommendations about the charities that can save or improve the most lives per dollar. GiveWell spends over 40,000 hours each year researching charitable organizations and only directs funding to a few of the highest impact, evidence-backed opportunities they've found. Over 100,000 donors, like you guys, have used GiveWell to donate more than $1 billion. Rigorous evidence suggests that these donations will save over 150,000 lives and improve the lives of millions more. And using GiveWell's research is absolutely free. GiveWell wants as many donors as possible to make informed decisions about high-impact giving. They publish all of their research and recommendations on their site for free, no sign-up required. They allocate your tax-deductible donation to the charity or fund you choose without taking a cut. If you've never donated to GiveWell's recommended charities before, you can have your donation matched up to $100 as long as matching funds last. To claim your match, go to GiveWell.org, pick podcast, and please enter Very Bad Wizards at checkout so that they know that you heard about GiveWell from us. That's GiveWell.org, pick podcast, and enter Very Bad Wizards to get your donation matched. Our thanks to GiveWell for sponsoring this episode of Very Bad Wizards. I don't know. How would you describe the look of the zone? Um, it's it's lush in the way that like nature has overtaken man-made uh, its ruins with like this just just lush green. It, you can feel almost feel the humidity. Yeah, it's <laughs> dripping. Know? It's it, dripping. It's, yeah, 
Um, right. Sometimes literally, sometimes <laughs> figuratively. It, it's very hard to like fully characterize because, you know, there's a lot of abandoned stuff in it. Um, yeah. It's overgrown. There's nothing like visually spectacular necessarily but it's but it's, it's so rich so beautiful. yeah it's it, rich it, um, even like shitty puddles look beautiful um, <laughs> oh god <laughs> i guess we're not going to go through all of it but no but let's uh, say though you said this like he yeah. is happy the stalker is happy when yes, when he enters he the zone there. it's like it's like an alcoholic who has that first drink of the day um, yes you know you're like now i'm feeling right like he's, yeah. he's finally feeling right. The, you know, the professor and the writer, when they first get there, are already kind of bickering. They're, they're talking about apparently the, the flowers don't smell. <laughs> yeah, they've um, lost their that's scent. That's brought up. The right, and, and they're just doing their kind of writer professor things. And, and the stalker just leaves. He's <laughs> he like, just walks away. I, I got to take a walk. I have to. And he doesn't even complete the sentence. Then when you see him just, he embraces the zone. Yeah, he's he just like, like does a snow angel in like the bushes. Yeah, like face down. But <laughs> yes, it's very cool. Like he's just like, ah, this yeah. uh, a huge release. Um, so here's where I just want to say we start getting the soundtrack. We start getting music. And, and mm. there is one thing that's, I think, very well done in this movie. And that is there's no real reliance on the music to set the emotional tone. No. But it's there. I think he thought, from what I read, that it was, um, it was cheap to try to direct your emotions with just music. Like, yeah, that's just too easy. Did does like little snippets of of classical pieces like Beethoven's Ninth, but then yeah. also this kind of more modern electronic yeah. dissonant kind of music that will come in. And it'll come in and out. Like yeah. sometimes he will just leave a scene to be silent with just a bird uh, or people, you know, the yeah. sound of somebody walking on, on, on grass. But uh, yeah, he, the electronic music, like he, he also tried to get some Eastern sounding music, like mm -hmm. as like, so it's like this blend and it just makes me, it feels because of all the associations it just feels like mystical like you're you're now in this mystical area like here's his quote about that he says he says i'm it must evoke the far east it must be charged with a so to speak zen content <laughs> whose principle is concentration and not descriptiveness huh yeah i i love the scene where they're going they're walking through the zone and there's this abandoned jeep with, I guess, skeletons in it. Yeah, it's hard to see, but I guess their body's given the reaction. But what's so cool about it is, you know, you see as we're walking, you assume we're the point of view of yeah. one of the characters, and then it slowly, you see first the professor, then the uh, writer, then the stalker, and, uh, and then you realize, oh, wait, they're in front of me, and then we watch them walking across the this this field through that jeep and it's yeah. like okay so now we're here yeah. like we are in the zone uh, at that point and uh, there's a lot of little moments like that it doesn't overdo it with this but there's a lot of little moments where uh just a way a character is talking to the camera or the way it that that it just feels like oh i'm along for this ride obviously the most famous one maybe being the end where yeah. even though they don't go into the room we go into the room right there is a lot of filming uh, through thresholds, like doors. Mm -hmm. um, yes. 
And oh God, the bar. It, yeah, the, the bar. The shots yeah. outside the bar and yeah. the little uh, like power plant and, out there. Just even that little moment where the writer wants to go back into the bar and the professor yeah. keeps him from going back in because of some yeah. superstition. Um, yeah, yeah. A, a lot of these like door frames, that the jeep, like it's. I don't know what specifically it's evoking, but it's just like moving to the next, yeah. like moving to the next stage. The way that Tarkovsky uses the positioning, like his blocking, like yeah. his positioning of the people in the shot and the positioning of the camera and the movement of the camera is so fucking good. It's just yeah. so good. It's a masterclass. Like it's breathtaking. Like yeah. the the slow pans, the you know the long shots. Like the average shot in this movie is over a minute, yeah. but it's not like showy long takes. It's not like no. Children of Men or something like that. It it just a, another way of drawing you into the the whole mood and rhythm of the movie. Yeah, the camera really is a character. Uh, there's on the Criterion disc. Um, there's an interview with the cinematographer. And he said that Tarkovsky, <laughs> the third one, like the, the final, the final one, <laughs> yeah, the final cinematographer. And uh, he says that Tarkovsky would like position their the people and their gestures in very precise ways. Huh. Um, you know, like he wouldn't tell them much about their characters, but he would give them very precise instructions on how to stand and like everything. The composition of every shot in this movie is incredibly well thought out. I don't, I don't do this ever. I took pictures of my screen because it was, <laughs> yeah. there were some shots that were so fucking cool with like the three, yeah. the three actors looking at you, like sitting in a particular way, standing next to you. Like I literally was taking pictures. <laughs> That's awesome. I knew you would love this movie. I, I, I was not worried for a second. Like I was a little worried, like but it. only because of my dickishness of like, well, if Tamler loves it so much, like I don't right. want to like it. <laughs> That's one of my, that, that's such a sad thing, but apparently I'm annoying enough about things that I initially make people not want to like the things that I like, you know? Uh, that's terrible. That's my uh, trial. But that's, but, I need to go to the zone to like reckon with that. But I will say, you don't, you don't generally lead me astray. Except for <laughs> exactly. That's what my daughter says. Yeah. She's like. Except for straw dogs. With Stalker, I remember watching it with my film class, philosophy of film class, and I was like, like the stalker, I was like, they need to appreciate <laughs> this. They need to take it seriously. They need to be moved by it. They can't be cynical about this or whatever. But like, you don't need to because the movie is yeah. just doing that already. That's right. Like, to, to the yeah. credit of the movie, uh, yeah. like within within minutes of watching it, I had forgotten how much I didn't I didn't want to like it. Um, yeah, yeah. So yeah, like the room is right in front of them. They're doing this weird bolts thing to determine their path. Yeah. Uh, and I do think already it's raised a question as to whether he's just crazy. And <laughs> yeah. a lot of the time when he throws the, the nuts, you hear the cuckoo. So no, it's like... Oh, I didn't notice that. Yeah, there's like a couple times where it's like, this is this guy has... He, he's invented it or maybe Porcupine invented it. Yeah. But uh, it's ludicrous. The writer is right. Like, he could just go walk right into the room. You're right. But it's, it's like... It's like he's really committed to this bit. He's, he's like... Com <laughs> he's so committed. Like, he throws a metal rod at the writer when he strays <laughs> yeah. a little bit or tries to pick flowers or something uh, and the, like that. the desperation in his voice you know yeah. like it's so so visceral when the writer goes to the room this is one of those cryptic things where there's no obvious explanation for as he's about to get there a voice says like 
uh, don't take another step or something. What is it? Yeah. Uh, I, nobody at least admits to saying it. Uh, the professor accuses the writer, who definitely looks terrified as he's doing it, of uh, of doing it himself to give him an uh, a, a, like uh, an excuse to yeah. turn back. Um, yeah, it's, I don't it's, know. A, it's what, what's your read of that? Uh, dude, I don't know. It's totally it's not in his imagination because everybody hears it. Right, everybody hears it. The professor tells the stalker, "Oh, that was pretty tricky of you." Uh, the stalker is like, "It wasn't me," and the professor's like, "Oh, like he did it. He he said it himself to get away, like because he chickened out." You know? Yeah. I, of all the explanations, I, I don't know. The first time I saw this, without knowing, without having like developed any theory, I thought well, this is just actually obviously like true. Like it's like an actual voice. Like in yeah. the, like the, the zone really is mystical. Um, yeah. You could absolutely think that, you yeah. know, I, for whatever reason I'm tempted not to, but there's some things that seem very mysterious. It's just, there's so few and far between. And, and every time the, the, the stalker is terrified that someone is straying from the plan, they always come out. Okay. And he's like, and the stalker's like, huh? Wow, the zone uh, demands respect, but it's given you a warning. It doesn't usually (laughs) do that, you know? It it all feels so post hoc. (laughs) But it's like they have to imbue the zone with magic for it to be magical. They have to project some kind of danger on it in order for it to be dangerous. Um, Yeah. But it does seem just inappropriate for them to just walk right into the room. It's a journey that they have to go on, you know, even if it's all within like two acres or whatever. (laughs) Right. It really, the geography really does get confusing. Like it's like uh, totally unclear. Um, And the landscape changes. Like there's like ice and then there's. What is that? What are those dunes, those sand dunes at the end? And the sand dunes. That's another thing. And there's also a disappearing bird. That's. The, that was the one piece of evidence that I thought, like, was this, this can't have been an editing error. Like, he wouldn't do that. Like, that that would be very intentional. But, like, there is, uh, yeah, a bird that flies. And and then another like, bird that follows right after it that doesn't disappear. That doesn't disappear. The bird disappears and pops out in the other, like, like in another part of the frame. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I didn't see that. That same bird? Yeah, the same bird. It's like, it's almost like, he went through a portal and came yeah. out like at the very left of the screen. Like, I mean, part of the problem is like, we don't know what's in the imagination of the, like what we're seeing from the imagination of the characters or our imagination. Like, um, you have to, yeah. What about the telephone yeah. call too? I mean, again, like that's really strange that all of a sudden there's a, there's a call and it's actually kind of funny because <laughs> they're having one of their arguments about art and science. And then all of a sudden this phone rings and goes, no, this isn't the clinic. And he hangs up and then they do a thing where it's like, huh? Yeah. You know, like, it's totally <laughs> sitcom-y. Like, <we're- laughs> yeah. you know, I read that this was based on like Soviet troops going into some like abandoned mm bombed out city and then all of a sudden like uh, a phone would ring like it could ah, it could be yeah that, like know. there's infrastructure you know you never yeah. know <laughs> so one thing they say that the uh, uh, you know around this kind of one third of the way in is that the stalker believes the zone lets through people who have lost all hope yeah like the really unhappy ones um Right. That's it's, who this is. It's not the good people. There. It's not the bad people. It's just the people who've lost hope. Yeah. It does seem like both the professor and the writer have lost hope. Yeah. 
Um, yeah. I mean, the professor is not only destructive, he's suicidal, right? Yeah. yeah. After he says that, like the cuckoo, uh, <laughs> you hear the cuckoo when he throws the nut. Like it's always kind of undercutting its deepest messages, <laughs> I think, sometimes, which is one thing I kind of love about about the movie. And then there's just part two, like for no yeah. discernible reason, I no, guess. I Although it's just like... Intermission. Yeah, but uh, I don't know. Like even in 2001 also just has this. I don't know. Like this one, it seems even more like it's not a real intermission. Um, But yet it seems like maybe some time has passed. Uh, I I was trying to figure out what this is all taking place within one day. Mm -hmm. But it really feels like they take a nap. Like Like it feels like it must be longer than that. It almost feels like time isn't the same in the zone as it is outside and you know the very beginning the very opening scene um the wife gets mad at the stalker for taking her watch yeah and like you get the sense that he needs the watch in order to to go into the zone and like it made me think that like maybe that's how to the only way he can keep track of like how much time has actually gone by because it seems like forever in there you know what it totally reminds me of is like an acid trip or a mushroom yeah. trip in which also is just you have no real sense of time yeah. and and also space like you feel like you've gone on this big journey even if maybe you've been on some hillside for the whole time wandering around different areas of it the way things are drawn out and 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 the fact that it kind of divides itself into episodes but without having them be clearly defined why they're different episodes, you know, they're like different stages. It's, uh, uh, I wonder to what extent he was influenced by something like that. It seems like the whole, like going from sepia to like color is, is, uh, the richness of being high on something. Um, and, and even if it's just being alert to mm -hmm. like Like you were saying, like, like the, just the visuals and the sounds, like the textures um, and sounds of life. Yeah. yeah, I was talking to, uh, to you about this offline. Like the sound, the sound in this movie threw me off at first because the voices often seem like they're they're almost like dubbed in, and yeah. and you don't get a whole lot of just like the ambient, like just what you might call room tone in a room, like just that yeah. sort of like background hum. Normal sound doesn't get in. Yeah, so, right. Yeah, the ambient sound is like not part of the zone. Yeah, and he says that like when he gets in there, like he's like it's so quiet, it's so still in here, it's so quiet in here this you're in a different sensory world and like the sound mm-hmm. of glass under their feet is just as loud as crunching like grape nuts or something you know <laughs> like in your mouth <laughs> right yeah it's also like uh sleep inducing right um, it's yeah so this you know when you were saying the thing about acid trip or mushrooms i don't like i don't think this is an explanation for it but you know how the oracle at delphi is seems to be in part because there was like some some fumes that came out of there naturally that made people trip out i didn't know that yeah Yeah. so like maybe there is something in the zone that's like actually making them trip yeah and that would explain voices and like the the bird (laughs) i mean absolutely that it's definitely open to the pot the reality of the film that Mm. 
a lot of the charge stuff and even a lot of their like arguments are zone influenced by just uh, some kind <laughs> right. of, it doesn't have to be supernatural, but just the fact, I read that Zizek said just the fact that it's cordoned off is gives it like it's mystery and magic. Right. Like once you cordon something off and you don't let anybody in, then going in there, get like already that's what it's going to have this kind of mystical, magical right. quality to it. I think it's like you anal. Know. You're not supposed to do it, but it's, it's magical. <laughs> Deep. Um, so they go in uh, when part two starts at some point as they go through this dry tunnel, which is actually just water, just pouring down, just, uh, I don't know from what, I guess the river or something. It's never totally clear what how water plays yeah. a role in uh it's definitely plays a role. And sometimes it's just pouring through, you know, like a waterfall. Then when they go through it, they realize the professor is gone. And then, like you said earlier, they find him. And then that just sends the stalker. He's like, I I I can't I'm not gonna take another step until I try to figure this out. Right. And that's when they go to that crazy scene of them, for whatever reason, like taking a nap and kind of tiredly bickering. Um, yeah, you like know? as they're falling, asleep, it really does seem like they've been drugged, and like because they're like yeah. as they're falling asleep, all of them on like mossy rocks and water, they're they're arguing, and yeah, and the in the the writer seems to have like that slightly more energy like when you're at a sleepover in like you know yeah. elementary yeah. school and there's the one kid who won't stop talking <laughs> exactly and you're just kind of annoyed but you don't even have the energy <laughs> to tell them to shut up and you actually can get a little bit drawn into what they're saying if they push the right button <laughs> yeah and then meanwhile the stalker i guess falls asleep he, he's the most in water and then a dog appears and uh kind of goes and lays down by him and it's actually a very kind of beautiful image it goes back to sepia toned um and then i think it's monkey as read reads a passage from the book of revelations that kind of plays over the soundtrack kind of like this is something that he's dreaming um yeah what do you make of this whole scene i i the sepia tones indicate his real mundane life. So like, it's just, you know, you don't know at the first time I don't think I knew that it's monkey's voice, his daughter's voice. Who's reading this from the book of revelation. Um, once you know that, like it did give me the vibes that there is a weird connection between monkey and the zone. And like that mm-hmm. there might actually, she might actually be somehow communicating She's plugged into the zone in the way the wife is not. Right, right. There is something, whatever it is that, that they were saying about stalkers having fucked up kids, it's almost like radiation or something. You know, you really get the sense that, um, but whatever it is, like the stalker's kid has some of the zone essence in her. And it like, and it's amazing because we don't get really that much to support that but i feel that yeah like i believe that as much as i believe anything about this movie yeah the, the, the almost daughter. like she sent the dog to like guide her dad back 
or something. Maybe. Yeah. You know? Something. Uh, yeah. I like that actually. Yeah. yeah. That would be cool. That'd be cool. Like, yeah. I'm Cause the dog seems very benevolent. I mean, yeah. even though it's, it's, it seems like the dog just lays down beside the stalker when the stalker needs that to happen. Yeah. Um, I read an essay that somebody was arguing that the dog represents the doubt creeping into the stalker's life. And I, yeah. I like, I don't want to believe that, but it it was a kind of a, an interesting argument that, you know, the, the writer already had five dogs. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and the, the stalker comes back with the dog and maybe with a renewed doubt. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, I guess we'll talk about where he is mentally at the end um but i also love that slow pan towards the end of this dreamy sequence where it's all in sepia and the, the swampy water and the syringes yes. and hubcaps and like coins there's a picture of jesus yeah, his little there's icon. a gun yeah. um you I, and, I wondered when i was watching that how much of that was just like found in that shitty like area already and how much he planted yeah. in there yeah i, mean, I the, don't know the jesus icon has to be planted like what yeah. do you make of all this religion like the book of revelation stuff talking about the sixth seal like there's so much christian imagery i don't know what he's trying to do with that other than it's like, just he's... another little i don't know like if this is another thing that you can grasp onto if you so choose and i was surprised like i don't know i have no idea what the like the soviet union uh <laughs> allowed in their movies but like obviously they're very strongly atheists and yeah. and they were funding these movies, and so I was wondering if he's sneaking. I don't know. It's not sneaking. Though, no, it's right? not at all. Like, there's right? a picture yeah. of Jesus. <laughs> it's a crowd of thorns, and there's reading from the book of Revelation. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Like, and I don't know. Like, I know he had some Christian uh, Orthodox inclinations. I, I I I see him a lot like Tolstoy, where. It, it's yeah. more of just a way into some deeper dimension of reality, but it doesn't have to be the same way in, and it's not in any way literally. The quote from the book of Revelation is, you know, it's like it's the end of the world, and it's like the earthquakes will come, and the the moon turns to blood, and the sun is blackened out, and it's it's very apocalyptic. And and I was like, is he just saying this like? to say some creepy shit at this point in the movie or is there some actual deeper meaning to this maybe it's like what you said earlier that the writer like this this is the end of the world you know yeah. for these characters if they can't get something out of the zone or maybe it's the end of the world for stalker if he can't do the mm. thing he, he oh, believes yeah. he was born to do which is redeem and guide people to understand life at a deeper less superficial level than they're understanding it yeah i like that it's like the urgency so stalker then gets up and kind of looks he just immediately looks right into the camera and then they have this he gives this speech kind of uncharacteristic about music yeah uh, what do you make of that so he says like you were talking about the meaning of life the selflessness of art take music for example it's connected least of all with reality or if connected it's without ideas it's just empty sound with associations and yet music by some miracle penetrates our very soul what resonates uh, within us in response to this like what is the chord he says 
that is in us that responds to, to music. He says, you'll respond for no one. It's for no reason, just like that. But he think, he's stating right now his belief that there is meaning and a reason to why we can respond to something as uh, not language-based. Yeah, it's like very non-cognitive. Like it, yeah. it's one of the few ways to give people emotions without actually giving them the concepts. It's and, non-conceptual. Yeah. yeah. And, and like I just took it to be a, an expression of his mysticism like there is just real deep mysticism in in the stalker and he sees meaning everywhere but it was interesting to me cuz it did come from sort of out of nowhere like this very interesting take on music like yeah and like kind of cuts off through all the bullshit that yeah. the 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 professor and the um writer are bickering about art versus science yeah and it just kind of cuts to the heart of that <laughs> by the no, way water water is a, like for Christians, it's such a symbol of, 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 you know, like the baptism, the changing, the, the transition, the transformation of the soul from like being lost to being saved. Like it's, you know. Well, that's interesting. There's also, I, I think this came a little bit before, but he, he launches into this as they enter some kind of uh, new part of the journey. He says, may everything come true. May they believe and yeah. may they laugh at their passions for what they call passion is not really the energy of the soul, but merely friction between the soul and the outside world. But above all, may they believe in themselves and become as helpless as children for softness is great and strength is worthless. When a man is born, he is soft and pliable. When he dies, he is strong and hard. When a tree grows, it is soft and pliable. When it but when it's dry and hard, it dies. Hardness and strength are death's companions. Flexibility and softness are the embodiment of life. That which has become hard shall not triumph. I mean, so that's a really interesting, in some sense, thesis statement for the movie. In some sense, this is where the Zen aspect of this idea of softness and this idea that you don't want to define yourself in opposition to the world. You want to be a part of it. Um, that's what the stalker wants. That's why he's doing snow angels in the grass. That's <laughs> why the writer and the professor are defining themselves in contrast to the world. And what he stalker wants, although I don't know if he can fully have it, is to go with the flow of the zone. And, right. uh, and that's what he thinks is almost the highest ideal here. I mean, that's another way in which water is a powerful sort of like, you know, wa mm -hmm. water conforms to the shape of the things around it. But it's this tremendously powerful force, but it doesn't, it's not rigid. Exactly. And it, and it, play, it will adapt itself mm -hmm. to its surroundings um, in a seamless way. Um, and that's what, yeah, the water in this movie does, right? It's like, it's hard to tell, like, where does the water, you know. It's getting in stop. everywhere. You don't know where. It's going. Yeah. And oh, especially, like, how beautiful that scene right from the, in the room. Oh, God. Yeah. yeah, we should get. Uh, to right, let's keep going. Yeah. <laughs> you know, this is actually where it starts getting a little more, uh, I don't know, the, the momentum starts going forward. That's almost like a little drowsy interlude where you're almost drowsy like the movie and then as they go through the meat grinder <laughs> the fucking meat grinder um, uh, yeah and this is where the interesting episode where uh, nobody wants to be the first one to go through this long pipe 
Um, mm-hmm. And the stalker says, okay, we're going to draw straws. And he gets a couple of matches and he says to the writer, if you pull the long straw, uh, you have to go. So he pulls it and it's long. And so he sends them along. Um, later we find out, <laughs> I don't know what to make of this. Later we find out that both, both straws were long. Like he, Well, that's just what the writer says. We don't know that he, that's Yeah, true. I know. He never objects to it. You know, like he always yeah. shifts the conversation in a way that's one question I had though is why doesn't Stalker go first? I like Stalker ever. acts like shook. He acts like he's really scared. And in fact, like they send he sends But isn't that his job? I know like if you're I, the guy you well, have to it, go what's, first. What's very weird is the bravery that he had entering the zone with all the gunfire and he really took command. Yeah. And then like the fear that he has in the zone. There's no, there never really, the danger never really appears. They're just walking through a pipe. <laughs> no, uh, in the meat grinder, right. Yeah. Like, I mean, it, it is shot with the greatest suspense. Yeah. And I, you know, like I'm on the edge of my seat as I'm watching it for the first time. But it's just walking through a weird old abandoned tunnel that's dripping. And, you know, it's such a cool scene. Yeah. Like the little, the, the way the light and then the water starts it's, pouring through. And the and, crunching of the like gravel or yeah. glass under their feet so the writer is going ahead the, it's, it's really interestingly shot like it, this is the most golem like <laughs> that the stalker gets you know yeah, it, like, he's kind of like just his like you know he's kind of crunched and like sideways with the professor who's just but yeah I guess my question is there's two straws right or yeah. there's two matches so it was between him and the professor it, like the soccer was never going to go no, first he was never- like and there's no explanation for why he doesn't always go first given that he's done this before you know maybe it's cuz if they you know if the first person dies they need him to get back like I don't know yeah it's I have I have no idea but just seeing the way that like he's running behind the the writer uh, and yeah. like hiding behind the professor kind of like it's 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 very yeah, weird that's what it's <laughs> very it's very it's funny but it's also beautiful it's like so then the writer gets to the threshold of some room and he pulls out a gun <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> Which is just, it couldn't seem more worthless to have, like, if you are buying the danger of the zone at this point, like, having a gun, like, what are you going to do? Just start firing at the, like, Right, <laughs> and the stalker says as much when yeah. he pulls, he's like, he's like, who are you going to shoot in there? <laughs> yeah, and so, but he's very upset that he uh, has a gun in the first place. The, the stalker is so upset about the gun, he get, again gets that desperation in his voice. And then when the writer goes into the room and the the stalker and the professor are following him and the the stalker like sees the gun on the floor and like it's it's almost like uh like he can barely stand to touch it he pushes it back into the water and it feels like the gun like the gun has disrespected the zone like yeah like disrespecting the bing um (laughs) and he 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 is almost like ashamed that that he brought a gun in there yeah. And you get the sense that's how a lot of these artifacts maybe got there. <laughs> like from people who disrespected the zone yeah. and uh, and he's just like, all right, this just joins the rest of these uh, random artifacts that will be here for right. years and years. Um, so then they go through this room, which is like it has like, a, I guess, a ladder or stairs that go down into the deepest water that they. Yeah. We'll it's, wade through. It looks like you're, they're in a submarine that's like been leaking. 
Yeah, exactly. That's exactly what. And and then you have to, and you just go through it and up. Yeah. Um, again, this was a room that they could have just walked into, but <laughs> <Yeah>. no. <laughs> Now you have to get yourself like neck deep in just probably the most disgusting cancer giving water. Literally. <laughs> Dude, I, it hurt having read that, yeah. that like they all got cancer um, and watching the scene, it hurt to watch. Yeah. Like, and they go through that. And then I guess the writer goes too far ahead because the stalker tells him to. Uh, <laughs> he has wait. these rules and it's like, what? Like, what are your rules? Like, no, yeah. like, no. And like, does he care? It, it's, Does he invent like, them or <laughs> like, or did he just like, did I feel like porcupine, porcupine invented them? And then like, he's, he actually like, you know, drank the Kool-Aid about him, but he's also like, doesn't seem, it doesn't seem to me that he's afraid because he's protecting the writer. It seems as if like, he's afraid in general, like if the writer breaks a rule, they're all fucked, you know? Yeah. And again, it's just more disrespect for the zone, which yeah. every time the zone gets disrespected, it hurts yeah. the stalker. Yeah. You know? He suffers. Soul. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but somehow the writer uh, gets, and this is into the Dune uh, yeah. scene, which is, again, one of the more magical, like, why is there a room full of, sand. I guess, sand dunes? Yeah, there are sand dunes. Like, how did it get there? I, I was wondering like what what Tarkovsky was doing there like what was he thinking like I mean it's visually it's spectacular it's like one of the coolest visuals from the whole movie and the writer just collapses and he collapses I thought he was dead the first time I watched it I was like wait did they just kill the writer <laughs> then he does get up and <laughs> here's where he like gives one of his oh I'm a tortured artist kind of speeches right. but I also feel like it is probably expressing thoughts that Tarkovsky has too. Like my work is constantly being warped by the demands of yeah. This you put world. your heart and soul in your work, and they devour you. Um, and if I die in a couple of days, they'll find someone else to devour. Yeah, um, that's where he says, they "Yeah, they've changed me to fit their own image." And yeah, totally. It's it's rambly too. Like he goes he, he goes from point to point, and you get this feeling that it is Tarkovsky's like catharsis about like being <laughs> like. And this is yeah. this is like a charged atmosphere right now. Yeah. Like people are just saying things randomly. This is where the bird disappears. This you know the the dunes are inexplicable, um, and they are on the threshold of the 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 room as well. But there's another room they go into first. This is where the writer starts getting really mad at Stalker. Yeah. Um, and, you know, he's still nursing a grudge about the, 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 the match. Matches. But I believe uh, that the matches were both because he says, like, I saw, you know, I saw them. They're both long. And yeah. the, the Stalker is super evasive. Mm -hmm. And it seemed like he was ingratiating himself to the writer by saying, oh, the zone has picked you like you're a better man than I thought. Yeah. Like I shouldn't. Yeah. Have, oh, uh, you think of that was more. I took that as sincere because I always take what he does as sincere. Yeah, but. maybe. But like it did seem like he was avoiding the question of the matches. He even tells him like, look, let's stop talking about the matches. <laughs> and this is also where we find out about Porcupine's brother that apparently yeah. he was a poet delicate kind of poetic soul that went through the meat grinder and died. And uh, Stalker says, here is something that Porcupine's brother wrote. 
Uh, now summer has passed. It may never have been. It is warm in the sun, but it isn't as enough. All that I could attain, like a five-fingered leaf, fell straight in my hands, but it isn't enough. Neither evil nor good has yet vanished in vain. It all burned and was light, but it isn't enough. Life has been a shield and offered protection. I have been very lucky, but it isn't enough. The leaves were not burned. The boffs were not broken. The day shines like glass, but it isn't enough. So what do you make of that poem? It's written by Andrei Tarkovsky's father, actually, uh, uh, along to you, who was a poet. Um, it reminded me of, like, Ecclesiastes. Like, yes. when, when, like... The you know everything has lost its brilliance like it's 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 no longer uh-huh. yeah I, ev- yeah like so so that's one way it's like everything seems like outwardly it's going well yeah. and, but it's lost its sheen it's lost its, it's uh, luster appeal luster uh, the other thing I was thinking was that it is an expression of like again this buddhist concept of dukkha like we are not wired to be satisfied by life it's not that it used to have this mystery but it now doesn't it's more that this is part of our suffering this is part of our tragedy we we aren't designed to be satisfied by what life is giving us and yet it's all here and like the zone is like that this it is here waiting for you to be gratified by it find meaning in it but we can't accept that we're always looking for more that's samsara that's suffering yeah it's the the condition so it's, is it that like Yeah. But I also think like that's what you're saying is right too. Like that's the writer, you know, like the writer probably once enjoyed the trappings of being a successful writer and the women and the all the off off brand women. The off brand (laughs) women, yeah. The B minuses, but whatever. For that place. He's no looker. (laughs) Um, Yeah. The day shines like glass. It's like this world is giving you all you need. But what you need is that softness to be satisfied with it. Right. That, um, so there's this side plot of the of the professor. Like he, once he finds out a phone works, he calls, I guess, some guy at the <laughs> lab that he used to work with. Yeah, Laboratory Nine, and he says like he found it. So it's like, he, like he's talking about that he found the zone in Bunker Four. Like I found it, um, and the guy on the other line is like. Uh, you know, this is going to end your career as a scientist. And I wasn't sure what that meant. Did it mean nobody's going to respect you as a scientist because you believe this malarkey? Or did it mean like you have violated a deep rule of our organization and no one's ever going to like... I thought it was more the latter. Like, it's not necessarily that he believes in it because I think that's not clear even (laughs) when he's giving his speech about why he's going to blow up the the room. It's more that... Yeah, uh, we didn't say that, by the way. He has a bomb. (laughs) Yeah, he has a bomb. That's what was in the backpack. And uh, it's a very, you know, like, uh, it's, it's very sad you know in the stalker like i almost like it's unbearable to see the stalker how pained he is at the thought that this might get blown up but but in terms of that conversation i took it that um he's just saying look we decided we're a team that that uh it shouldn't be blown up that we should leave it maybe for further investigation or whatever 
And also, you're <laughs> just doing this because I fucked your wife 20 years 20 ago. 20 years ago. <laughs> which I totally buy. Uh, absolutely. <laughs> all, all that uh, Dawkins-y science <laughs> bullshit. It's like He's he is getting revenge on the world for, for somebody fucking his wife. <laughs> um, I So I, I was confused by what the professor actually believes because mm -hmm. he really does seem to say, you know, this whole time you're like, oh, this is a man of science. Like he doesn't really believe, but, but he went right. So, yeah. but then you're like, okay, but maybe what explains it is he didn't go because he believed he went because he's going to blow it up. But when he's saying why he's going to blow it up, he yeah. seems to be endorsing that this room might actually satisfy desires and what will happen when like the worst people in the world find out about this room and they come and their desires come true? Like we can't let this happen. So I was like, wait, it could be that they come into the room, think that they have their greatest desire granted and that that's the danger. The fact that people might uh, project their own uh, fantasies onto it. That is too dangerous, um, whether or not it can actually grant people their innermost desire. Yeah. So here's what he says. I assembled it with my friends, my former colleagues. This place evidently won't bring anyone happiness. And if, it's, and if it falls into the wrong hands, back then we had the idea that the zone shouldn't be destroyed, even if it was a miracle, even if it was, it was part of nature and that means hope in a certain sense. So they hid this bomb and I found it. Old building bunker four. Obviously there has to be the principle to never perform irreversible actions. I understand that. I'm not a psychopath, but as long as this canker is open for any asshole, there can be no rest for me. Or maybe it's that... Uh, innermost that won't let me. That's all he says, I think. Like I'm looking at the screenplay right now. Um, you don't know from that, I don't think, what he thinks. Yeah, you're right. When you read it, it's true. I think the writer imputes the belief to him. Yeah. And the, the writer, I love the writer's response. He's like, if you believe that like, you know, people come in here and they're satisfy their desire for world domination then you're pretty much an idiot because nobody's innermost desire is anything as lofty as like yeah. world domination like people want base things like you know they want selfish simple that's their innermost desire and that's the writer's fear i think right yeah. there is right that's why he doesn't want to go into the room um, yeah. why do you, so, so there's what follows is a scene where the stalker tries to wrestle the bomb away from the professor desperately, desperately, just, and, yeah. Yeah. Like, um, and they have a almost somewhat comical fight over it, but then and, the writer comes in and just starts beating the shit out of stalker, like punching him, throwing him down into the water. Very like, unexpectedly. Like you, you yeah. don't think of the writer as having more physical prowess as stalker throughout this movie. And all of a no. sudden he's getting pushed around like a little kid. You yeah. know, like the writer just literally just shoves him into the water like a couple of times. Three times. Yeah. Yeah. Punches him like and Stalker doesn't even fight back. He just gets up and immediately goes for the bomb. He doesn't ever even get mad at the writer, you know? <laughs> yeah. He's like, yeah. And, he's and this is the saddest perfect. part of the Stalker. Like he's like, Yes, yeah. I'm a louse, but I'm like this is the one thing I can do is help people, lead people to get without hope to a place where they might have hope. You yeah. know? This is all I have. 
And then the writer kind of calms down. The, you could see that, I don't know if his professor's heart was ever in to destroy <laughs> the plan. <laughs> the, you know, like, yeah, it's almost like he brought it. That's why he was there. But, uh, but it's, it's, it doesn't take too long, too much for him to just completely abandon, disassemble the bomb. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. He, t- he takes it apart, his little thermos bomb and he, and he tosses it. Yeah. And then Stalker's like, okay, you know, this is it. Like, you know, we're on the threshold. Whoever wants to go first, the stalker doesn't go in. He, that's a rule or he, he, you know, he says earlier he's happy the way he he is. He's happy just being the guide to the room. He doesn't need to go into the room. Right. Uh, But then none of them go in and the, the writer almost falls in. And gets scared about that, like almost panicked as he's yeah. about to fall into the room and then Stalker pulls them back. And there's kind of a nice scene with the writer putting his arm around Stalker, who's still very upset. Why do you think they don't go in the room? I, you know, I might be imputing my own, like what I would be feeling. The idea that you go into the room and nothing happens would be devastating. Yeah. The idea that you go into the room and your basis desires are fulfilled is also scary. Like it feels no, like a no win to go into the room. And I feel like sort of like Pandora's box, like that leaving that last step still there maybe lets them hold on to some hope. There is something special about keeping that last step there. If it doesn't work out, like you said before, it's it's the last resort. So... Yeah. Um, but do you think it's like a failure that they don't go in or is it wisdom? You know, I'm, I'm processing this as we're talking because like I never really had an answer to it, but it does feel to me like they went through an emotional journey that will make them like they they don't need it. They thought they needed it, but maybe they don't like they actually had some, some growth throughout that whole journey that led them to conclude that they don't actually need the room in the it way that woke they some dormant spiritual yeah, know, connection peace. to life. Yeah. Yeah. Some peace with who they are and what they are. Like they don't need the magic of the room to make their, and, and maybe it won't make their life better, you know? Yeah. Right. And the, yeah, the professor says like, I don't understand anything anymore. Why did we come here? And I think, like, that's a good lesson, yeah. you know? I don't understand. And, yeah, totally. Absolutely. And, you know, the fact that the scientist who wants to make everything triangles and geometry is just admitting that he doesn't understand and that he's at, at sea as much as everybody else is enough. I guess the... Um, yeah, because this wasn't a scientific journey, you know? This was yeah. an emotional journey. And yeah. he was wrong to treat it as... You know, the whole time the writer is mocking him for like bringing his scientific instruments. What are you going to do? Measure, bring out your microscopes and your lasers or something, you know? Right. In the way that I would, you know, yeah. in that kind of annoying. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> when I was watching it, I was like, I know why Tamler likes this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But then I don't know, like when I watched it, and it could have been because I was a little sick still when I was watching it this time around, because I don't remember feeling this before. I got a real sense of despair uh, at the end. It's like, what if you realize you're not up to this? You uh, talked big about going into this new place of 
you know, where anything can happen and it's new possibilities and you can transform your life and make it meaningful now. And then you realized I'm just going to stay with my old pattern of habits and, and, you know, at least they maybe recognize that, but it's not some sort of triumph. Uh, it is out of fear and out of, you know, they're not built yeah. to fully handle it. I, I think I felt that too, to be honest. And I think that there are two, there are two different ways to take that ending in the shot where they're looking into the room and they're just sitting there and it starts raining. That's a shot of despair. I think they feel like they've disappointed themselves. Like they're, they're disappointed in their inability, their cowardice and not going into the room. But then when they're back in like sepia life, I feel like they're better for having done it. I agree. I, I I will say that this time watching it, you know, so that last shot of them in the zone, because it, it's completely so, inexplicable. So how, it's so beautiful, and because yeah. and it just slowly pans out, and then all of a sudden you're in the room, and I honestly felt like, wait a minute, I didn't agree to go into the room. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, right. <laughs> and you are looking at them <laughs> through funny. the doorway. <laughs> you are looking at them through the doorway of the room, and now like, wait, like so, you're right. I, got, I like, felt a, violated too. Like yeah. you're right, because because like he's treating the whole thing so like mysteriously. Like at first you. <laughs> don't even see the the room all you see is that they're looking into it like the threshold and then all of a sudden what what i'm in in there (laughs) (laughs) you you realize porcupine hung himself (laughs) after he went (laughs) and and also there's clearly nothing visibly special about the room no right no no more than the rest of the zone (laughs) right i mean it is weird that there are fish swimming in a room yeah. uh, in the floor but like that's just normal zone stuff yeah it's unclear where the rain is coming from like they're underground <laughs> <laughs> yeah but it is so beautiful that's the thing it's like you can't be too despairing because how that's what i was despair? taking pictures of that's what yeah. i yeah, yeah that's exactly where i pulled out my camera and i was like i have yeah. to take a picture yeah there is beauty in the in the disappointment it's yeah. weird it's very weird and then there's the dog you know and no. even the wife seems to recognize that well a dog came out of this that's good and you that's, seem to like dogs and so. that's why i don't want to believe that the dog represents doubt because that seems mm-hmm. like a bad thing like the dog feels like a guide that like is pulling them out almost yeah. like you don't need this what yeah. you need is to come back like live your yeah. life you know and live with your family yeah uh, Yeah, he's been ignoring his family. Like, it's not nice. (laughs) They are unbelievably supportive of him. (laughs) (laughs) Under the circumstances. It's like a pastor's wife, you know? (laughs) (laughs) She comes to pick him up at the bar. They take home the dog. Like you said, the the, the writer already has five dogs. (laughs) Professor probably doesn't think it's rational to have a dog. (laughs) Uh, Certainly not a pit bull. Yeah, uh, and then the dog follows them home. It's a beautiful scene, and it's in color. It's one of the few in yeah. color shots that, or if if not the only in color shot that's not uh, in the zone. And so, and that's a very hopeful scene of the them walking back with the dog and her. <laughs> you think she's walking at first? Yeah, absolutely. Like it's very shot really well yeah. to make you think, oh, monkey can walk after all. But then no, she's on the shoulders of stalker. Yeah. Yeah, I but knew. it's nice I, that he's even doing that. It's a nice dad thing to do, you know. Exactly, and she also has this look about her. I can't describe like yeah. a, a sort of like dignity and control that mm-hmm. she has that like neither of her parents seem to have. 
they both yeah. have desperation in their face. Yeah. You know, a very different kind of desperation, but they, they both throw themselves on the floor. Yes. <laughs> you know, like a lot. A lot. A lot. It, yeah. She's young, you know. Uh, it's You get harder as you get older. Um, yeah. And she still has a little bit of that softness, I guess. Um, it's She's so inscrutable. And yeah. it's, uh, it, you know. She's like, has a, a green head wrap. Um, yeah. Like it's, a babushka kind of. Yeah, yeah. I like, c- clearly, like, he loves his saturated colors. Like, I think that having having that scene in color um, to, sh- I don't know why, like it seems like there wasn't, when he did that, I was like, well, there's no rules then to the color. Like, but then I, I was I, like, maybe the daughter just represents the zone. Like the daughter is like. Yeah. Cause actually, even though stalker will then lie on the floor and, you know, uh, complain about the fact that everybody's too cynical and nobody believes I, I, Nobody it's believes. A, it's so whiny. It, 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 yeah, but it's almost—it's still kind of hopeful. Like the the wife is now being fully supportive, and she gives a speech to the camera about how everyone told her not to marry him, but she's never regretted it for a second. And that that threw me for like a loop. Like I, you know, in in a great movie, my one nit to pick is her breaking that fourth wall to give us this speech about her husband just seemed out of nowhere. Yeah, it is out of, you know, in a movie that has a lot of strange things and a lot of people looking at the camera, it seems more out of place than some of the other things. Because it's also like telling you stuff. It's like, (laughs) it's addressing us. Like it says, you've probably, like, who's she talking to? Yeah, I know. probably guessed. She's talking to us. You might make fun of this guy, but this is our, this is our window into a life that actually has meaning as as crazy and uh, like foolish as he is and, and comical. It's this or just sepia dreariness. Yeah, and she says, look, it's been it's brought us a lot of sorrow, but without sorrow there wouldn't be happiness. She says a very Russian yes. <laughs> like sentiment. Like neg- the negativity is necessary. Yeah. By the way, and I have a she... I have a clear note in my in my notes that when when they cut to monkey in the last scene, it's back to color. Um, so yeah, let's talk about that. The dog's there, drink some milk. I hope they get it some actual dog food. I know. I was like, is it a cat? It's not a cat. It's not a cat. (laughs) (laughs) The dog needs food. Um, It's a great dog. It it, it was stalker, stalker. It led him out of the zone. So, um, but it looks like, okay. So it cuts to monkey. It looks like she's reading. I didn't know if it was a Bible or not, but then she's saying a poem. Yeah. Yeah. Like a voiceover of a poem because she's not, uh, she has her head down on a table and there are three glasses. Uh, on the table and she appears to be moving one glass then the other and then finally a third and knocks it off the table um yeah but it doesn't shatter it just kind of it just kind of <laughs> yeah and also at, at at a certain point during this the dog kind of whimpers the dog is whining yeah and yeah. she looks at the dog and uh, the dog shuts the fuck up. <laughs> but <laughs> this like, is where I thought that like the dog was, yeah, 
in in Either my she was malevolent or the dog was or the dog is just feeling that there is this zone something going to on. her yeah yeah like the dog is from the zone the dog knows when some yeah. zone shit is happening <laughs> <laughs> the clear implication is she's moving the glasses with her mind but there's enough especially with the opening scene where a glass also moves and like we said earlier you could imagine that she knows this house so well and the train rhythms so well that she knows how these glasses are going to go and she's just watching them because that's what you do to pass the time when you literally have nothing to do uh, you and you walk. live they in like an abandoned chemical factory town. <laughs> you know, <laughs> It's like Pittsburgh. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like probably there are little girls that watch glasses kind of move inexplicably. But... That said, they all kind of, they move in sequence. Yeah, so, and the train is not close yet. When the, no, when but that moving. was true in the opening shot too. Yeah, but the, you heard more of a rumble in the opening shot. Yeah, maybe. Um, and uh, it's a very odd ending. I texted you right afterwards. I was like, yeah, she, like she has she has mutant powers. <laughs> like <laughs> she's it, an X Man. Like. The natural ending of that movie is the shot of them standing on the threat, sitting on the threshold of the of the zone, and him throwing parts of the bomb into yeah. the zone. Or maybe like, the shot of them at the bar with the mysterious bartender, like 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 he's yeah. out of The Shining. Yes, right. Yeah. But instead, you have a fairly long like coda. I, and then to end with this, it's like I think it's like Tarkovsky because she also puts her head on the table. Very, you know, like everybody's kind of drowsy and, you know, putting their heads down. It's almost like Tarkovsky is saying, like, what do you make of this? You who have been so skeptical, uh, <laughs> uh, put this into your triangle, you know, <laughs> A, A prime, prime, B prime. Uh, <laughs> it, but he's also giving you the ability to explain it away. But I, I like, it's almost like if you, if you do that, then like, I can't do anything for you. You know, I don't know. So yeah, like he, I feel, I feel like he wanted to, he wanted to give us the gift of mystery. Mm. Still, he, he, he was giving us some hope. I, you know, I, and I'm, is it hope? Like, because she doesn't seem <laughs> hopeful. I don't no, know. Like, I guess it's hope. There is like the, the star child interpretation that you were alluding to earlier, which is like, she might be representing sort of like the next step State. in like humanity. You know, yeah. this is in some like unmentioned future time. Um, and but it's one she, thing to have that when it is a baby that is looking over the earth from space. It's another thing in the dingiest, shittiest apartment uh, for a girl to have her head on the table, like that doesn't seem like this is the next stage of evolution. But at the same time, like I think it is Tarkovsky saying, yes, maybe it is. Like there is hope in mystery. And this mystery is, you know, the, the this is all we have. It's, I'll admit, it's confusing, man. It's a, yeah, very, it's, I have it's no, very confusing. Yeah. I have nothing on it. <laughs> no, it was like a, all I can say is that. Um, it didn't emotionally, it didn't, uh, uh, harm my understanding of the movie. It like was a, it felt cool. It felt interesting. It felt like there was something yeah. to the zone. Like it, like, I don't want to describe it in a way that, that it's like, sounds like it's like a stupid, like out of nowhere ending. It is out of nowhere, but it's, 
I, I felt like he was giving us something at the end. Like I, uh, yeah. that's all I can say is the, the emotion. Yeah. yeah. That like it's this little girl who is in the shittiest of shitty situations seems to have something special, like, and maybe some connection to uh, what we have m- maybe mocked her father for believing, you know, yeah. throughout this movie. And he is honestly mockable. But like yeah. she has a real connection, maybe the one that he wants, but he yeah. can't have. I yeah. I love your thing where she sent the dog yeah. to kind of get him back. I think that's great. And, you know, maybe that's why she doesn't like when the wife at the beginning is trying to stop him from going in, you mm, know? Yeah. I mean, but like you can try to do that, but <laughs> it's not like it's the most inscrutable of endings. Yeah. Like even compared to all the, you know, cryptic things uh, that happen in the rest of the movie, this is like, whoa, yeah. this is a different level. Of, <laughs> I don't, much. I don't understand. He stepped yeah. it up. He stepped it up at the end. It's like you're the professor at that point. Yeah. I don't understand anything anymore. Right. Then. Yeah. Oh yeah. Actually, I like that. Um, yeah. He's giving us the feeling that the professor had. Professor. Uh, professor. <laughs> he has a feeling. <laughs> oh, man. All right. <laughs> three, uh, my my clock is, says three hours and 15 minutes. <laughs> is that right? Is that All right. Um, well, I, I, got, I got a chance to talk about this movie for a long time with... Uh, with you and so I hey can't. I feel like we've we've walked into the zone and come back out yeah yeah and we can move glasses yeah and, and I have a little black dog in my house too so uh. <laughs> all right uh, join us next time on very bad wizard the post stalker uh, <laughs> no, nothing will ever be the same <laughs> I, I want to congratulate us for getting through this whole episode without saying the word liminal <laughs> I said it once. Oh, you did? Okay. I did. I I, when I was describing the bar, the, the bar, uh, I, like it can't, I couldn't yeah. help it. Like it does feel like the most liminal of liminal shots. Yes, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And the, the zone itself is liminal. Everything yeah. is liminal. Everything is liminal. <laughs> liminal, liminal, everything is liminal. <laughs> Join us next time on Very Bad Wizard.